Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday morning edition of Unexpected Points. Going to review the Monday night football game between the Baltimore Ravens and the New Orleans Saints. You know, not the most exciting matchup. Uh, did have a pretty good performance from Lamar Jackson, a pretty good performance by the Ravens defense, which I will get into. But it's a little bit bearing the lead of what I think the focus of this episode is going to be. And it's going to be on the stunning, and this is like one of the legitimately stunning decisions, not so much to fire Frank Reich, uh, a little stunning that it happens mid-season with the success that he's had with that franchise. Um, But after that effort last week against the... Uh, Patriots only scoring three points, looking completely inept on offense. Makes some sense. But the, the the real stunning part of it, of course, is the hiring of Jeff Saturday straight off of ESPN, the mean streets of Bristol, Connecticut, uh, and ESPN, and bringing him straight on to be head coach. And, you know, this isn't a bye week either. They're, they're going straight into it. So I'll get into all that. I have some clips from the press conference that they had there. And I'll just say, um, if you wanted to sum up the Jim Irsay, Jeff Saturday, Chris Ballard, the 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 triumvirate there, the power structure now there with the Colts, if you want to sum up that press conference, especially everything that Irsay had to, had to uh, add during that press conference, I don't think any quote is better than this. I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage. But I do know how to build a football team. Yes, uh, it was a bit rambling at points from Irsay to say the best. Uh, But we'll get into it. We'll dissect all that. I got some video clips here for anyone who's tuning along live on or watching after on YouTube. Of course, the video clips are gone for the football, for now, at least. The NFL has the hand of the NFL, the mighty hand of the NFL has swooped down and squashed the little bug of the unexpected points podcast and our ability to put video clips on there. I will have an audio clip for the game, but not going to have the video clip. So let's, we'll get to probably the more significant portion of the podcast, the, the firing, a reassessment of everything that's happened during the Ballard slash Frank Reich era in Indianapolis. All of that we'll get to first. Let's start with Monday night football where the Ravens were victorious over the New Orleans Saints. Dalton gets sacked. Campbell was in there along with Houston. And Dalton slow to get up. He got hit hard. Yes, yes, yes. Andy Dalton goes down hard. And this leads directly into what I believe to be the number of the game. There's a lot of stuff with Lamar Jackson we can talk about. He was fantastic, especially running the ball. But I think the real story of this game was the pressure that the Ravens were able to get on Andy Dalton, making them very unsuccessful on third down. So number of the game here, 62.5. And that is the quick pressure rate. And remember, I really like to look at these quick pressures, which means a pressure that comes in less than 2.5 seconds. 2.5 is about the median time for pressure rate in the NFL. So anything that comes quicker than that, I think is very significant. It's very difficult to execute a read beyond your first open read if you don't have beyond 2.5 seconds on here. So that was the pressure rate for the Ravens pass rush on third down. 
they were in there quickly, they were in there often, and they were putting pressure on Dalton in this game. And what that really leads to is the third down stats. I know I'm repeating myself over and over again, but this make or miss league in the, in the NBA, convert or not league when it comes to the NFL, whether or not you're able to convert these third downs. And that's why getting that pressure, mixing up the pressures, mixing up the looks up front, getting multiple sacks on Dalton, despite the fact that he was getting rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds, which is extremely fast, being able to, to put that sort of pressure on him, really, really important because it then leads to the Saints being three of 11, uh, converting three of 11 third downs. And by the time they converted some of those in the fourth quarter also, which by that time, you know, their win probability was down a couple of percent. Once they were down more than two scores in that fourth quarter, it didn't really matter. And on the flip side of things, the Ravens convert nine of 15 third downs. A lot of them were more of the medium variety, which they were able to run for or short variety, but they did also convert well through the air when they weren't passing the ball well generally, but they were able to convert well through the air. And that's what really makes a difference in this game. The nine of 15 on third down. Okay. All the numbers on this game, Baltimore was a two and a half point favorite going into it. They win 27, 13, with a garbage time-ish sort of touchdown thrown in there for New Orleans at the end. The adjusted score, a bit more narrow, 26-21. Reason being, kind of what I mentioned, difficulty converting on third down, where some of that is sustainable type of great play by the Ravens' defense and poor play by the Saints' offense. Some of that is luck. You know, third down conversion rates go up and down a lot. And it's not just there's a luck factor in whether or not you're converting, but there's such high leverage, important plays in terms of expected points added and win probability added that you really have to be able to convert those. So it's a little bit more narrow than that, despite the fact that the Ravens offense was definitely, definitely a lot better than the Saints offense was on a play-by-play basis in this game. A couple other factors that come into this. The Ravens had a fumble, although it was Lamar fumbling and recovering himself. So, you know, they get dinged slightly for that. Not as much as if they would have been recovered by someone else other than Lamar, which indicates that it was a fumble that could have easily been recovered by the defense. And there was also an interception for Dalton on a tipped ball at the line of scrimmage, which then Justin Houston was able to intercept. So that was an interception that was not a turnover-worthy play. So that feeds into our adjusted score formula to give them a little bit more credit. Slightly, not a lot, a little bit more credit than you might expect for the Saints. Some other big, big time numbers that come into this, the total success rate percentiles. So the Saints were at 50%. So they weren't bad. It's just their EPA was really low because they couldn't convert on, they couldn't convert on third down and they got that interception on the tipped pass. Whereas the Ravens were successful generally, and they had good EPA because of the third down conversions that they had, especially running the ball. 94th percentile run success rate. Uh, the run EPA percentile was 85, 85th percentile. So very, very high there. And it, the numbers could be somewhat deceiving if you just look at a box score for Kenyon Drake in this game because 93 yards on 24 carries, you know, 2.7, I mean, sorry, 3.9 yards per attempt doesn't look that impressive there, but he was really converting well. He got a couple of touchdowns in there, uh, four missed tackles, forced, which is pretty good for him on that one. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson running the ball is where he did a ton of his damage here. 82 yards on 11 carries, including seven first downs, 
converting, being hugely successful in that department. Didn't do a whole lot passing the ball. Uh, Took three sacks on 25 dropbacks, so that's not great. 133 yards passing, one big-time throw, one touchdown. But, of course, he was without Mark Andrews, which is probably going to be for another week or two there. He was without Rashad Bateman, which will be for the entire rest of the season. Deshaun Jackson came in and pulled his hammy. So who knows what what he's going to do going forward. And I would say to some people out there, you know, we don't need all need to make Deshaun Jackson like snarky comments about the fact that, oh, look, Deshaun Jackson's injured again. Like the guy's trying, I assume. I don't think he's trying to get injured. Uh, Have a little sympathy, if anything else. Deshaun Jackson, explosive, awesome player. Um, One of these guys that there's a calculation where you looked at with or without you. It was kind of uh, to say how good is a quarterback when they've had this receiver on the field versus when this receiver hasn't been on the field. Randy Moss was the prototype for amazing outperformance for every quarterback he's played with when he's on the field versus when he wasn't on the field. Deshaun Jackson was pretty close, pretty close to that. If you look at the numbers of, you know, McNabb we used to play with, if you look at the numbers of when he came to, who was it? I guess it was Cousins. Was Cousins there when he came to Washington? Him there. Uh, Wentz, for the very few times he's out on the field with Wentz. RG3 was better with him than without him. I mean, he had some great games, even when he hasn't been able, when he's been very limited in these games. So, if anything, we should be viewing this not as, a, oh, Deshaun Jackson injured again. You know, who would have guessed? Um, if anything, it's a, it's a little bit of a tragedy, honestly, that he can't get on the field more because I think he looked like he even had some juice in this game down the field. Uh, one of my favorite players and just a such a unique player, too. He's one of the guys who broke the mold as far as someone weighing that little, being that productive in the NFL at that size. Maybe no one better in the NFL of being able to accelerate, maintain acceleration, and track the ball in the air. His ability to track the ball is like second to none as far as uh, catching, never losing a step, catching it in stride. That's what made him such an amazing, amazing player. Uh, anyway, let's, 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 let's calm down, people, uh, getting on Deshaun Jackson. Hopefully he can get, he can get healthy and get back into them, the, the game going forward. Otherwise, we're going to be seeing a lot of Demarcus Robinson. We're going to be seeing a lot of Devin DuVernay. Those guys combined for two catches for 17 yards in this game. We're going to see a lot of uh, – James Prochet, who had two catches for 22 yards. But again, there wasn't a ton to go around here. I thought Isaiah likely was okay in this game. You know, he had the touchdown. Uh, He also had some catches that he could have made, which tough catches, mind you, some of them. But some catches that he could have made, and we even credited him for one drop in this game. It wasn't a passing game for the Ravens, so you'd be a little bit concerned about that going forward in a game where they can't control so well defensively. But if anything, I think you have to be happy with the fact that you had three sacks for Justin Houston on three pressures. You had Calais Campbell with the sack in there, and you had a bunch of pressures here, 20 total pressures put on Andy Dalton in this game. And like I said, a lot of them were very, very quick, which was good. Uh, One other thing I'll highlight is that the first game for Roquan Smith here. So the second round pick goes out. Roquan Smith comes in. He played 37 of 49 snaps. He had a 79.8 grade, which is really good. For us, mostly graded well in a run defense. He had a big third down and short stop, uh, which I believe the Saints then punted off on fourth and one, which I, mean, I don't know why you're doing that. Um, so he was good there. He's you know plays pretty well in coverage. Obviously, he's, he's very, very athletic there. He was targeted twice, gave up 16 yards in 19 coverage snaps. So, you know, not, not bad there. 
Um, I think bringing him is maybe a little bit more key for them than they would have thought because of the fact that, you know, they have Marcus Williams, who's down. Uh, Geno Stone has come in, and he's playing kind of every snap at safety. And then the first-round pick that they had, Kyle Hamilton, they've been easing him in more and more, but he's been playing less on some of these run uh, defensive downs, less on some of the early downs, being more of a coverage guy. And in this game, he played 25 coverage snaps, targeted five times, uh, 26 yards given up. So not bad for Hamilton. He had a a tipped ball interception that was called back by penalty, kind of a dubious penalty at best of a pass interference call there uh, or illegal contact, one of those two. So Hamilton's getting eased in a little bit more here. Maybe even the move for Roquan Smith is to say, you know, we want to have Patrick Queen and Smith out there more and then ro- more of a rotation at safety where Hamilton is not playing as much. And uh, it's Chuck Clark and Geno Stone are the main guys playing at safety there. So something to look at going forward. So where do we stand? Where do we stand as far as the playoff probabilities? I think that's probably the most important thing coming out of this. Ravens don't move a ton. They go up 3% this week, up to 86% to make the playoffs, 72% to win the division. So they look very strong in that one. They handled business. It would have been more of a detriment to them to lose this game than it was something that could raise them much higher in their playoff standings right now. And for New Orleans... I don't know. We're past the trade deadline, so I guess they're not going to sell off. It's kind of anathema to uh, Mickey Loomis and everyone there to not be all in every year there. But now down to 15% chance, according to our numbers, to make the playoffs, 11% chance to win the division. And this is in a pretty poor division there. I think we still are a little bit higher on Tampa Bay than some others for their ability to pull forward in that division there. So, I mean, there's a chance for them. It's just going to be tough. They needed this one. They needed this one to really put them in position to hold serve and kind of keep up with the Bucks here and then eventually be able to take them over later on in the season. But they still have a chance. They have a chance, but not a great chance of being able to do anything this year. All right, before we get into all the clips and the Frank Reich firing and everything else, let's pay some bills really quickly here and let's talk DraftKings first. DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Unbeatable offers right now. Any $5 bet can get you $200 in free bets if your team wins. And also stepped up same game parlays, which you can do every game day. You can do a stepped up same game parlay all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And also, Western and Southern Financial Group sponsors the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com. Okay, I got some clips here. I got some clips from the press conference of, uh, again, Irsay, Jim Saturday is being introduced. Chris Ballard is there. The clips I'm going to play here are going to be from Irsay and 
Uh, Ballard, I'll talk about Saturday a bit and what he said. It wasn't very, it wasn't very enlightening, honestly. Um, but I will get into some of what he said and some of the reasoning for why I think they're making this move here and a general shift here. But let's start with the press conference because it's going to give us some background to talk to. And we'll walk through some of the stuff that's being said here. So here is Irsay kind of talking about the decision to hire Jeff Saturday, specifically with the fact that he did not have any coaching experience other than I believe maybe he had some high school coaching experience at some point, but no NFL experience, no college experience coming right off of ESPN being moved into um, the, you know, kind of top position within the organization. I mean, I put head coach at least symbolically and probably operationally definitely during the middle of the season as the most important role within an entire football team. That's the role that Saturday is taking over. We hear Irsay go kind of all over the place here in his discussion of what he thought of this move. It was done very methodical, you know, you operate like the CIA. It's very analytical. I'm sorry. Let, 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 let me let me let me state it up here because first he's going to talk about Tony Dungy. So let's let's start from the beginning here. What he talks about for Tony Dungy here. You know, it's a, it's an intuitive decision. You know, when I hired Tony Dungy, it was done very methodical. You know, you operate like the CIA. It's very analytical. It's very unemotional. It's very very methodical with in depth experience and knowledge and and trying to get the feeling for what's right then i wanted a winning coach a winning playoff coach a winning coach that was proven to come in with our franchise now i'm glad he doesn't have any nfl experience i'm glad he hasn't learned the fear that's in this league okay so before we get into some of the quotes that you've you've heard you've heard you've seen on twitter okay I want to I want to be delicate about this, but you know whatever you know he's getting up there in the years a little bit. You're say um, he's a, he's definitely all over the place. Sometimes people's public persona and their speaking and how they come across in these press conferences doesn't exactly translate into how clear of a thinker or strategic of a thinker that they are in these circumstances. But he's being asked why Jeff Saturday is being hired. Um, without NFL experience. And then he goes into a rant, the not rant, he goes into a whole story in the beginning about how methodical and different, really to differentiate the process with Tony Dungy versus what he's doing here. And, you know, Tony Dungy won a Super Bowl. <laughs> Tony Dungy is, is won a Super Bowl before that, won another one here. Um, like, do you really want to say, hey, we're not doing that. We're doing something completely different here. We're, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. But anyway, here comes the quote that everyone was talking, that everyone was was uh, hanging out here about, you know, when, when the, the good old analytics come into play on this one. Fear that's in this league. That's because it's tough for all our coaches. They're afraid. They go to analytics and it gets difficult. I mean, he doesn't have all that. So he doesn't have all that. He doesn't have the analytics. Now, is that like a, a stab a little bit at Frank Reich for being an analytical Head coach Frank Reich for being someone who went for it on fourth down a lot. Um, maybe. Um, you know, I want to look up here really quickly to see what's the team's fourth down conversion percentage this year for the Colts. Um, oh, here we go. So this might have something to do with it. So if you look at 20, they are second to last. They're tied for second to last. 
converting 20%, 22% of their fourth downs this year versus 20% for the Green Bay Packers. Yikes. Now, if you look at the last three years, 33%, again, not very good. When you figure a lot of these are fourth and one and fourth and two, I'm doing the last three games, 33%, my bad. Uh, if you look go back to 2021, though, 62%. So if you, if you sort by percentage in 2021, they're in the top five. If you go by 2022, they're second to last. That might be weighing a little bit on Irsay when he's looking at what's going on in the situation here with the Colts and his stuff about analytics here. He doesn't have that that fear, and there was no other candidate. We were fortunate that he was available. Uh, okay, let me just get into this really fast. There was no other candidate. So he states later on in the press conference that if it wasn't going to be Saturday, they may not be here this week announcing this change and going forward. Like, what? You're telling me your decision to move on from Frank Reich, a coach who is – you know, a winning coach who's been pretty good for the franchise there was dependent upon the availability and willingness of Jeff Saturday to take the job. And that's it Saturday or no one, that type of decision. Uh, I don't know. And his availability, he's working for ESPN. Um, like who, who else is, is going after him here? Anyway, let's continue. Um, and he has tons of experience. He knows this game inside and out. Um, with relationships with coaches and players, um, uh, and has been a consultant for us for several years, a paid consultant, um, you know, uh, informing Chris and I and other people in the organization, you know, his opinions. Uh, so to me, um, uh, you know, I, I know people can, you know, look out and, and, and see it uh, and, and ask that question, but, um, you know, the, you know, that that doesn't surprise me. I understand. Look, at, I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage. But I do know how to build a football team. Okay, so there, there's the sausage. The, the sausage line that I had earlier. Um, maybe I'll get into this more afterwards. But this whole thing of I know how to build a football team. He's been kind of in charge, in charge, like officially, definitely in charge since 1995 when his father was, I think he was the GM much earlier than that, but his father was basically overseeing everything. Um, the, the original owner of the, of the, the franchise before passing it down to him. So since 95, I mean, whatever, like, uh, you know, Peyton Manning, right? It's like, what else, what else do you want to say about what else do you need when you're coming into play? You have Peyton Manning, you have Andrew Luck, you have the number one pick in two different years where you had the two generational type prospects. Um, an interesting note is they also had the number one pick when John Elway was in the draft that they traded out of because Elway refused to play for the Colts. Um, but that would have been like, they've had the talk about luck as far as having those things are concerned. And I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe I would say that the teams with one Super Bowl during that time with, you know, some middling performance that wasn't that great with Andrew Luck, you could probably say the team building around those quarterbacks was subpar. Like you should hope for more when you have Peyton Manning, who may be, you know, one of the top couple of quarterbacks, definitely of all time, top three, four of all time, no matter who looks at it, I might have them as number one, honestly, of all time. And then Andrew Luck and that sort of talent that he had there. Uh, but anyway, let, let's get let's get past the sausage to the rest of Irsay's answer here. Because I've been around for 52 years. And from all the people from Paul Brown to Don Shula to sitting with Ted Marshall Brodin, understanding what you do 
during a week for preparation. I understand that, and I understand that he's fully capable of doing this and, and more than capable on that, that no, there was, it wasn't offered to anyone else. And, um, it, you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, Chris and I, what we would have done, if anything, if, if he wasn't available and willing. Um, so that, um, that's kind of how it came together. Okay, so that was, again, a little bit all over the place on that one. But, again, that was the part that I talked about. They said they wouldn't have offered it to anyone else, and they don't even know if there would have been a move at coach if Jeff Saturday was not willing to take this position again. Um, a little bit interesting. Before I get into, like, the Ballard clips that are coming after this, um, I think what has to be pointed out here is whether or not it's factual – but it's been reported that in pretty heavily that Irsay was behind the decision. Now, three major decisions that have happened within the last, well, 12 months that have happened for this franchise. I guess even fewer months than that, maybe only 10 months for this franchise. Uh, he has been really the driver in these decisions where before I think he did step back and let Ballard kind of do his thing. So I do wonder, and it's only going to go further and further in this direction. That's why I think guys like Ballard become even a little bit too compromised when the owner starts taking over too much, even though he gave Ballard the vote of confidence, which, but then again, you know, he gave Frank Wright a vote of confidence eight days ago or nine days ago, and he's already, you know, out out the window. Um, But three major decisions in the last 10 months. One, the decision to move on from Wentz. Maybe they were all on board, maybe Reich, Ballard, and everyone was on board on this. But it was definitely Irsay was like, this guy makes me want to throw up. We got to get rid of him immediately after that loss against Jacksonville and not making the playoffs here. Again, if they make the playoffs, maybe they even win a game or two. They weren't that bad of a team. I don't think they were that much worse, if any worse, than the Cincinnati Bengals were. Um, Everything could have been quite different there. So he he drove that move. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad move. I think Ballard did a great job getting good compensation for him. But, you know, then just pivoting off to go to Matt Ryan wasn't such a sure thing, obviously, we see now, of getting improved performance. But at the very least, it just shows his um, heavy hand that he's putting down on the decisions of this franchise. So there's that. Number two, it's been reported pretty strongly, especially by Zach Kiefer over at The Athletic, that Irsay was the one who wanted to move on from Matt Ryan this season. And that's been a disaster decision, in my opinion. I know Matt Ryan was playing really, really poorly, but Sam Ellinger, really bad last last week. Okay, two weeks ago, but still, two games where they definitely could have won both of those games. And if you look at the team, they were 3-3-1 when Matt Ryan was benched. According to our numbers, now our numbers might have been a little overinflated, because they're looking at priors on Matt Ryan, they're looking at priors on the team. But according to our numbers at that point in time, so before the last two games were played, we had them as having a 38% chance to make the playoffs at that time, an 18% chance to win the division, and an 8.2 win projection. Now, they lose the next two games, 17-16, they lose a very winnable game um, at home against the Washington Commanders. And then they just have this pathetic performance against the Patriots where Ellinger was out of his depth, to say the least. Uh, He took nine sacks for 60 yards. So his whole thing of like his scrambling will make up for the bad offensive line. Well, maybe not. Scrambling and sack rate are actually positively correlated. Um, So now after all of this, 
They're three, five, and one. Their playoff chances, according to our numbers, are down to 11% from 38%. And their chance to win the division is down to 2% from 18%. So not, you know, that move alone, probably not great. And then it sounds like for this move here, that this was, again, a Irsay-driven decision. It says it was a very long conversation between Ballard and Irsay on Sunday night, an embarrassing loss, a quick reaction by the owner. I'm sure, I'm not, I'm not sure. My suspicion would be that Ballard was trying to talk him out of this type of quick trigger move, reactionary move here, uh, reflexive move to get rid of Frank Reich in this situation. Said that a very, very, very long conversation. Now they always say in the end, we're all on the same page with what's going on, but I bet Ballard was trying to counsel him to have, you know, some degree of sanity here, but it's just not working. And that shows either a lesser degree of trust between the two or Irsay just feeling like he has to take over. But now we're seeing this franchise, which while they didn't have stability at quarterback, now it's just kind of like flying all over the place, even within a particular season. I think it's because of the owner's influence here. And this is kind of when the owners go wrong. But let's 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 listen to Ballard talk about what went into the conversations he had with your saying what went into the decision. And, and specifically, I think he's asked the decision for to bench Matt, uh, Matt Ryan and the decision to bring on Jeff Saturday. What was his involvement? Were they all on the same page? What was the discussion like all that sort of stuff? This is his answer to, to that, to, to Chris Ballard's answer. So I think you know me well enough, all of you, like I'm not, I don't sit here and, Act like I don't share some of the blame. Damn right I do. Um, and okay, you know, I, I share the blame stuff at the beginning here. Like, we, we could probably, I, should, I probably should have skipped this. But okay, so he shares the blame. And yeah, damn right he does. I, I'll, I'll agree there, even though I am a Ballard defender. And But also know that we got eight games left. And I'm not just ready to fire the talent like everybody else. I mean, I, the world's going to fire the talent on us. We're not, we're not throwing in the towel. I mean, I talked to the team today, talked to the coaches, visited with Jeff, and we'll move forward. Um, Frank, Mr. Ursay, and I visited about the Matt decision. You know, that was all of us together. What was the other one? The decision to fire Frank. Yeah, Mr. Ursay Mr. and I had a long, we had a long talk, you know, here over the last, you know, 12 hours, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he keeps on emphasizing the long talk. I don't know. Like, I feel like if they were all on the same page, maybe it wouldn't have been as long of a talk. But again, this is me. This is me speculating here. So late last night and when we decided to move forward, that's what we did. And I talked to Frank, you know, this morning, um, Mr. Say, you know, talked to Frank and then I talked to the team and then I talked to the coaching staff. Not easy, especially with Frank and I's relationship. Um, and it's one where, look, we both we both know that we haven't been perfect by any stretch. Um, and. You know, it was it was a hard day. It was a hard morning. Yeah, I mean, these guys have been tied at the hip a little bit. Maybe not officially. Remember that uh, Josh McDaniel was going to be the original head coach there, and then he backed out, and then Ballard went to Frank Reich. But since then, these guys have been tied at the hip a little bit here. So to have one of them peeled off, um, I think it puts Chris Ballard in a pretty tough situation here. And just to quickly talk about um, you know, whether mistakes have been made or those sorts of things here for, for Ballard. What I think is interesting is the follow-up question here 
Sounds like my man, Stephen Holder, who's been on this podcast, who covers the uh, the Colts for ESPN. But I, I'm not sure. So don't hold me to that, asking this question. But he, you know, puts Ballard's feet to the fire a little bit here. And he says, hey, this is the team that you built, is it not? Um, look at where we are at this point of the season. You're kind of a little bit in disarray here, three and five and one. Um, falling out of the playoff hunt, the team that you built and you put together, uh, you know, asking him about that. And this is some more quotes or part of this, the wide receiver quote, other stuff that you may have seen if you've been, uh, if you're terminally online like me and checking Twitter for all the people dunking on this stuff. I sure did. Defensively, I would tell you we're playing pretty good football. Um, Offensively is where we got to, we got to make some hay. Um, We've not played as well up front as we need to play. And I think you all know my, as y'all, y'all have been kicking the shit out of me for years for not drafting wideouts, and all of a sudden I'll look up and, you know, we're underperforming on the offensive line right now. Okay, yeah, I mean, that was the line that everyone had there. The thing about getting grief about the wide receivers and we're underperforming, we're, 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 you know, we're not performing on the offensive line. One, okay, again, I may be reading too much in this stuff. One thing that I'd say, and maybe I would probably fall victim to this also, but I do think that at least it hints a bit of Ballard being too uh, aware, too sensitive to the criticism in a way. It's hard. It's probably really hard as a GM with the NFL news cycle and everyone just going over everything over and over again. It's probably especially hard if your owner that you're working for is sensitive to those things because then it's just going to filter down to you whether you want to have it or not. But I, I don't like, at least theoretically, I don't like a GM reacting to the media too much because you never want to become a reactor to critiques. You want to think about critiques, but you never want to become a reactor to critiques because then you could start to become, you could start to like embody the the role that you're being pushed into by your by your detractors you know it's like one of those things where if everyone's yelling at you on the internet then you're like you know what um that that drill tweet where he's like you know what my opinions are going to get even worse now now i'm going to go into it so you don't want to react too much in either way to what's going on so it's a little bit troubling there um but again the offensive line they're spending a ton of money on the offensive line it's not performing i think you have to point the finger back at yourself here and say we got to get that fixed and it's my fault um, and that's got to that's got to take another. That's got to improve. That has to improve. And then the turnovers. And then the turnovers during the year. That you just look at it. We're turning the ball over, and we're turning it over inside our fifty. I think we had nine inside the thirty-eight. Um, Eleven inside the fifty. You know, you can't you can't win games turning the football over in this league. Two things: you can't learn, you can't win when you don't block, and when you turn it over, it makes it hard. Yeah, so turnovers is interesting here to to highlight as the other thing. Because remember we mentioned the the fourth down, like conversions are down, and then Irsay says something about analytics. Well, yeah, they're leading the league in turnovers right now. Um, 17 turnovers, 7 fumbles, lost, 10 interceptions. So, yeah, not, not, not good. Um they're also they are tied though with the Saints and the New England Patriots. Um, believe believe it or not, for for their turnovers this this season. Turnovers are something where you have to really 
dig into them to see like how much is really about sustainability or not. Uh, a lot of the fumbles, some of them, Jonathan Taylor's fumbled a couple of times. Those are probably fairly random. Matt Ryan fumbled a bunch as on strip sacks. Those are a little bit less random, but somewhat random when they come into play there. The interceptions, you know, Ryan was bad. I mean, he was one of the worst graded quarterbacks going into that, but you have to hope that's going to turn around. Again, it feels a little bit like we're just going to fix the turnovers. Isn't something you can do necessarily because of the high degree of random randomness to it. I mean, it's a reason why I downweight outlier plays in the adjusted scores. You know, some of the most outlier plays that we have are the turnovers. And he mentions where they happen on the field, how far they're returned, whether it's a pick six or a fumble six. All those things are very, so you don't, like, it's not showing necessarily the temperament to lean against overvaluing the stuff that's very variance related here. Um, And instead, leaning into it maybe a little bit too much for my liking. Uh, Just let's, let's get some background, though on the decision for, let's look at Saturday specifically as part of this, because I think that's the wildest part of it. So Frank Reich, 40 and 33 record over about four and a half years with the franchise, uh, one and two in the playoffs. So a couple of playoff exits. They did make it to the divisional round one year, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs back in 2018, I believe, with Andrew Luck still there. Of course, Luck was gone after that. They had a losing year with Jacoby Brissett, which was a tough year. Um, but they were able to win, you know, have winning years with bringing in Philip Rivers, bringing in um, Carson Wentz, winning years there. Not bad. And I think Ballard did a good job building a strong defense and a strong offensive line, which has now crumbled apart. But I think also it's hard to say that Frank Reich was not doing a good job with that and how much of that and Ryan's uh, lack of success this season can be pinned on him. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but I will say when it, the biggest thing here, and this is something that I don't know how they all get together, whether it's Irsay, you know, Reich, Ballard, and make these decisions. But the biggest thing is the quarterback decisions. Didn't really have any choice with rolling with Jacoby Reset going forward with Philip Rivers, which I think was actually a pretty good decision. Rivers played well that year. He was top 10 in efficiency by EPA per play. They were very close to beating the Buffalo Bills in that wild card game in the playoffs. Wentz, not quite so sure about that decision. Maybe you can put that more on Frank Reich as a guy who was who was vouching for him and saying that he's the guy that we should bring in there. But I think generally the problem with what we've seen with Ballard, and again, I'm someone who has defended Ballard in the past, is that every decision you could say is justified looking at it in a vacuum for these quarterback decisions. Like it's better, especially in a short-term team, which is thinking we can compete this year. Maybe it's better to bring in Phillip Rivers than it is to trade up for someone or do something. Maybe it's better to bring in Carson Wentz than to do that. Maybe it's better to bring in Matt Ryan than to do that. But in totality, it shows a lack of long-term focus and long-term stability, which eventually there will be cracks. There are going to be cracks. It's not one of these guys are going to fail when you bring in the veteran quarterback over and over and over again. And if it fails and the first time that it fails, it leads to a dissolution of the team. You know, the head coach is gone and we're making wild moves. We're pulling them in midseason to bring in a fourth round, you know, second year player who doesn't look very good. Uh, We're just grasping at straws. If that's what it leads to, um, then it shows 
the downside and the fragility of that type of strategy. And talking about bringing in Saturday specifically, I mean, maybe he's fine. Maybe he'll be a fine head coach. Um, I don't like the fact that Yersay is already talking about hopefully it'll be longer. I think he's just has a great relationship with him, with Saturday. I mean, Saturday's on TV for a reason. He presents well. He presented well in this press conference, but substance, I don't know, because it's hard for him to have any substance in this one. I mean, he's talking about meeting with the coaches and trying to figure out who is going to call plays. That's like his first, he doesn't really, he, he, you could say, oh, he's been a consultant here for a long time. He knows what's going on. Now he doesn't really know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> he does not know what's going on. He's starting from, from scratch here in a week where they're going to play the Raiders this weekend. And they were going to have a buy in four weeks too. Like, couldn't you just wait until the bye week perhaps if you wanted to make this move? Everything just feels rushed. And I know Saturday was a great player. I mean, he played for them. From 1999 to 2012, six-time Pro Bowler as an undrafted player, um, first-team All-Pro twice, also second-team All-Pro. So it's pretty good, pretty good numbers. Ring of Honor type of guy. I get it. Again, he presents well, which I don't think is necessarily that important for a head coach. Um, maybe it's like a rally the troops sort of moment. So you think that's good, but you know what's more important is the diligence and the uh, detail that you have and the organization that you have being thoughtful and methodical about things. That's what's been proven as being the best attributes for a head coach. And, you know, maybe Saturday will prove to be that, but he hasn't shown that at least in his time with the lack of experience in the NFL. So we'll see about it all going forward. I mean, obviously I'm pretty low on this move. I'm low on the fact that they're going to continue to go forward with Sam Ellinger this year. Maybe the benching of Ryan is more about Irsay looking at his pocketbook and saying, we want to make sure this guy does not get injured and we do not owe him additional injury guarantees going forward. I'm not sure. But I think the biggest problem here is Irsay is now running this operation. Whatever Ballard wants to think, whatever influence he thinks he has, the last three major decisions, Wentz being let go, Ryan being benched, and now Jeff Saturday coming in for Frank Reich. Those are all Irsay decisions. He's pushing over. Ballard has kind of lost, I think, some of his power and his autonomy to make decisions. And when that happens, you know, and you have an owner who's just going to be pulling out and just reacting to things every single week as it goes on, bad things will happen for the franchise. So as much as I like Ballard and I know he's gotten the vote of confidence, the best thing for the franchise going forward, at least at the end of the season is probably replacing him, bringing someone in who can restore and kind of start off at a hundred percent confidence. Again, make some of these decisions and be able to hold back your say, perhaps from harming himself and harming the franchise with these reactionary moves. All right. That's it for me, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this. I'll be back Friday morning, review Thursday night football, which I believe is um, Carolina, Atlanta. But we're probably going to have some more news this week, and we'll heavily focus on that as we go on. And another interview next week, I'm going to have Steve Ruiz from The Ringer on to talk quarterbacks. He has the he has the Ringer uh, quarterback rankings over there, two and on, and the Miami Dolphins are all over him. For not rating him high enough. They, he was a Geno truther. So we'll talk about Geno. We'll talk about it. We'll talk specifically about the young quarterbacks who we may be able to move on from. So that'll be next week. But otherwise, I'll be back talking to everyone on Friday. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Rate, review the pod. If you're already still online at this point, that means you probably enjoy the content. And I appreciate you guys all tuning in. Otherwise, 
Talk to you on Friday.